I'm old enough now and have experienced enough of life to know that change in all its forms is difficult and unsettling. I remember years ago taking what was called a stress inventory. It was an attempt to measure how much stress someone had in their lives at that moment. It was supposed to be kind of a, a snapshot of your life. And I remember that any score over 75 indicated that stress was becoming a problem and you really needed to do something about it. And if it was over 100, well, you really needed to do something about it because you were supposed to be nearing uh, a crisis. Mine was 130. <laughs> now, everybody at some point in their lives has stress. It is normal, it is natural, and it's necessary because it's what keeps life moving. The problem is, is that stress doesn't just come from the bad or the difficult things in life. Stress also comes from the good, the wonderful, the blessed events. What surprised me, I remember in taking this survey, was that some of the most wonderful events were every bit as stressful as the difficult. And you can guess the difficult ones. The death of a family member, or a divorce, or difficulties at work, or losing a job. But as it turned out, and this was what was going on in our life, the birth of a first child, getting married, changing a job, even for the better. All of those things also produce stress. And change is like that. What we perceive as good change, bad change, or even change we don't think matters brings on an extra load of stress. Especially when we're already under it from other places. Now, I also remember that only a, a few months after measuring 130 on the stress meter, <laughs> I was, took it again and I was down to 60. So I guess it must have been okay. One of our problems as human beings is that we never really know what the future holds. And we have a very difficult time measuring between what is good change and what is bad change. Do any of you remember the old folk story about the poor peasant farmer who happened to own a horse? According to the story, this uh, fortunate man who owned the horse, one day the horse ran away and his neighbor came to him and said, it's a shame you lost your horse, it was so valuable. And the peasant farmer says, well, how can you measure? How do you know? And the next day, the horse came back and brought with it a dozen wild horses. And the neighbor said, you're on your way to being a rich man. This is a wonderful thing. And the farmer said, well, you never know. The next day, the farmer's son broke his leg trying to break one of the wild horses. And the neighbor said, this is a terrible thing. And the farmer said, well, you never know. The next day, a man from the government came to draft his son to go in the army and go off to the wars. But he couldn't go because he had a broken leg. And the neighbor said, isn't it fortunate your son broke his leg? And the farmer said, well, 
How do you know? And see, that's the issue of life. We don't know. What we think is good may not be. What we think is awful may be. Change comes. The problem with so much of change is that when we face it, we don't really know exactly where it's going to end up, but we do know this. In whatever circumstances of change we find ourselves, we cannot go any place that God has not already been. Jesus is always already there, even in the places you didn't want to go. Today's Palm Sunday, of course. It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's the beginning of a vast series of changes in the life of Jesus as He moves through this last very short week of His life. And I believe there's a kind of a deep symmetry between Jesus riding into Jerusalem and the Gospel story of Peter trying to walk on water. The first is about the very Son of God seeking to do the will of His Father. And the second is a disciple very much like us, seeking to the very best of His limited ability to follow what He hoped and dreamed and wanted to be His Lord's ministry and mission. I've heard quite a few sermons preached on this walking on the water text. I've preached a few myself. And they usually come down to us commending Peter for at least trying and getting out of the boat. And the problem, of course, we say, is he took his eyes off Jesus. And so the sermon would conclude, okay, be courageous, get out of the boat, but keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm not so sure that's what this text is about. I've preached sermons like that, but I'm not sure that's what's going on here. It may be good encouragement for people who need to put some action in their faith, but I think it kind of misses the point. After all, when they get back into the boat, the other disciples don't congratulate Peter and say, gosh, you did pretty well. Maybe you'll have better luck next time. No. The real hero of the story is the hero who's always in the Gospels. It's Jesus. When will we learn that it has less to do with us and a lot more to do with God? It's no wonder that one of the great symbols for the early church was a ship. A significant portion of Jesus' ministry took place in and around the Sea of Galilee, numerous times using the small boats that were there. Jesus preached from them. He used them to travel around the lake. One of the great stories from earlier in the Gospel is Jesus stilling the storm. And it is almost a companion piece to this one of Peter walking on the water. We need to remember there's some differences in the stories. In both of them, the disciples cry out, Lord, save us. In the first one, everybody is rebu rebuked for having little faith. 
And then there's the prize when the wind and the waves obey Jesus. But that's not what's happening in this painting that Barbara has finished for us today. The disciples have been sent out across the lake, and yes, they're battling the wind, and yes, they're battling the waves, but there is no indication that they're frightened. Until this apparition, this phantom comes walking across the water, and then they're terrified because they think it's a ghost. They had reason to be afraid, I guess. How many times have you seen anything walk across the water? I'd be scared too. And this time, it's only Peter who is accused and in a few minutes of being the one of little faith. Jesus doesn't scold them. He simply calls out, It is I. They said the disciples' fear is pretty reasonable. But Peter, it seems, wants to test Jesus. He uses the words, If it is you. Now, we don't see this so much in English, but these are exactly the same words that Satan uses when he tempts Jesus. These are the same words that get used by the high priest. These are the same words that the crowd is going to use when it demands Jesus' death. Peter, like everybody else, is asking Jesus to do something to prove you are who you say you are. And that's never a good thing. Not in the Scriptures and not in our lives. But unlike the other times, Jesus grants Peter's request. There should be no surprise that it's not going to end well for Peter. You see, I'm not so sure that Jesus was being critical of Peter because he lacked the faith to walk on water. I think maybe Jesus was being critical of Jesus. Uh, uh, Peter was being critical. Jesus was being critical of Peter. I'll get it right in a minute. Because he devises a test for Jesus. Maybe the core truth of the story is this. You're not Jesus. Stay in the boat. Quit trying to walk on water. That's not your job. If you do, you'll quickly find you're over your head and you're going to need some help. When will we learn to stay in the boat? And let Jesus be the one who leads the miracles forth. Now Peter does get one thing absolutely right. As soon as he begins to sink, he cries out, Help me! Save me! Rescue me! And that is precisely where we all end up. As I've said before, the ship was an ancient symbol of Christianity. And this story indicates why it's attractive when surrounded by the adversities and the storms of life, 
safety and salvation are experienced when Jesus climbs into the midst of that boat we call the church with us. I would remind you that the ship is not a static symbol. It's a vehicle that's used to go from point A to point B. Maybe we need to ask the question, why did Jesus and the disciples cross the sea? No, this is not why did the chicken cross the road. But part of it is the same, because they wanted to get to the other side to tell the story of the gospel to people who hadn't heard it yet. That's why they crossed. It was about doing ministry. It wasn't about walking on the water. The ship of the church is where we not only want to be, it's where we need to be because it's the place that provides us the opportunity to go places with Jesus and do things with Jesus. Palm Sunday is a, great, a day of enormous change. The disciples, I suspect, hearing the fervor of the crowd on that Palm Sunday fall, oh good, Jesus is going to get to be king without dying. But of course, they're wrong. Jesus understands that the real powerful change is coming when a crowd turns from cheering to jeering and demands his death. The disciples don't yet understand that the greatest storm they've ever faced is about to break upon them. And maybe it's just as well. Jesus seems content to spend this last week using as many means as possible to spell out not only where he's going, but what it's going to mean. And maybe it's enough for the disciples to know that. What the disciples can't know is that when all this turmoil of the last week is done, God still has a long-range plan. We're like that too. We're sailing on a sea of life, looking at Jesus as the one who is supposed to captain this ship, and oftentimes we can't see the storms until they arise. Sometimes we worry about things that never come to pass. Sometimes we forget to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we look at the church as if it were supposed to be perfect. But if we've learned nothing else, we have to learn that in the face of the storm, it is the presence of the One who can come walking to us across the face of a stormy sea, saying, don't be afraid, because I'm with you. For six weeks, we've been doing a series we call Unbinding Your Heart. It's an exercise that's pointed us to Jesus. In prayer, in meditation, in friendships, and in reaching out to share the gospel. The heart of the faith is always in this Jesus. This one who comes walking across in whatever storm we're in the midst of. 
in whatever Palm Sunday we find ourselves in and says, do not be afraid. I'm with you. Always. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.